Hey, it's Cyber Monday, December 2nd, and it's uh, 9.05 in the morning, and it's 54 degrees Fahrenheit in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, I was scheduled for a phone interview at 8.45, about 15 minutes ago, but it's been rescheduled to this afternoon, which is fine, which is good gives me time to get Bud in a leisurely walk, you know. Bud is part of my system, right? We talk about systems and goals. So walking Bud is integrated into part of my systems here. So, um, yeah, um, since we last spoke, I made a commitment to myself to write right i got this book thing going so you know i had my system thanks to writing coach pomodoros i did four pomodoros back to back with a little break you know take a little break four pomodoros over a two hour period and i said to myself i gotta sit down here and write my friends i have to write this is the writer's journey this is live as it's happening. Coaches observe this over months, and in my case, years, right? And they know the and they know the process and they know writers and writers probably. You just gotta go through it. So if you're a budding writer, it's a mystery in a way. You can people can tell you stuff. <laughs> and, and that's like kind of like coaching, right? Or personal trainer. You can go, the, the guy's like, you got to lift, do five reps of five at 150 pounds on this bench press or whatever, right? They can't do it for you, man. That's the difference between coaching, guide, and being the hero yourself, right? So be the hero. So um, I just wanted to get that out of the way. That's the most exciting thing of this podcast is to know that I did four pomodoros and what did i learn in that experience i will tell you what i learned in that experience Um, but first i forgot to tell you that this is buddy's owners arizona schnoodle walks so bud here is ready to go and i did listen to don miller of the uh, a story brand dude who's pretty cool the biggest killer of success was the video today. So it's a you can watch the video yourself. I recommend it. It's, it's got these little videos, and you get gems, gems. So the bigger killer of success is playing the victim, is what he says. So he, he uses his framework of the movies. Right in the movies, you got a hero, a guide, a villain, and you can have a victim too, a victim. So he's like, don't play the villain or the victim, man, in your life. Play the hero. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So the hero, me, did four Pomodoros, which resulted in a complete chapter and 5,000 words. So that's what that means. So a chapter doesn't mean a lot. But I got 5,000 words in two hours, folks. Two hours, 5,000 words. Much better quality now than previously. So previously, 
I did get 70,000 words of just rant about stuff that I care about. But you don't care about it, right? So what? You know, just because I care about weird, minuscule things, it takes me too long to explain why it's crazy. And then it's like a so what to you. I, I, there's some of these things, I, if, I, if I have enough time, now I'm sounding like N.T. Wright. <laughs> there's just not enough time in this podcast to go over everything. <laughs> Is there? No, you know that that's not true. I'm lying to you. There's plenty of time in these podcasts to cover everything. So, um, so what? Hopefully this is fun, entertaining for you. So what? So Pomodoro, it's like a breakthrough for, for you entrepreneurs if you're acting as a coach. Even if, I mean, some people can't think, I mean, it's, it's a nice title, I think, writing coach. It's not something that people think about, right? You can, I think you can coach just about anything. And, uh, and it's, just, it's just getting that message across to people. And maybe they have to hear it like seven times, right? So the writing coach um, can tell you to do Pomodoros and things. And I've done them in the past and I got to 70,000 words. But now I'm going back and doing, focusing more on quality and, tra- you know, what, is, what do I want this book to do and provide transformation? And that's, isn't that what this podcast? I want to help all of us transform so you get, you get guide and, and hero. You get dual roles, man. Guide and hero. So 5,000 words. So what does that tell to me, right? And this is my, doesn't tell you anything because you didn't do it. <laughs> I did it. Two hours focused. Very hard for me to do with my brain. And I still don't know if it's like super quality, right? It's still going to need some editing. So I'm not saying it's. Um, all gold, right? But it's closer, right? Second time through, second time through. It's a little closer. So what does it tell me now? I'm up to 12,000 words ready on this rewrite. And I only need like 50 to 60,000, right? So let's say I need another 50,000, no, 40,000, I said, divided by 5,000. 40,000 divided by five is like eight sessions. So let's call it nine sessions. Let's call it nine. So I need to find nine two-hour sessions to get this baby done. And I'm on a roll now. It's like I can fit in two hours somewhere, you know. And some of this stuff, this is like this is like insider tips for my coach, feedback, feedback. Because she has the great spreadsheet, which got me started, got me the first draft, the spreadsheet. Which was simply like, as a new writer, novice writer, never written anything before. And they tell you like, oh, I got to get 70,000 words. Try to get 60, 70,000 words. Yeah. And, and it's like, as a writer, you're like, what the hell does that mean? Right? <laughs> I don't, most of us write and we don't count words, right? But I guess if you're going to be a writer, you got to freaking count the words. man. Word count matters, I guess. So. There you go. So um, now I'm getting I'm, I'm getting feedback because I'm measuring something, and I got a, the system is the Pomodoros, and basically a 25 minute Pomodoro, probably a thousand words, maybe 1,200. But I, and if I do, once I get rolling, right, the, the the clock goes off, and I'm like, okay, cool, 
I don't just drop what I'm going like, okay, I'm in this paragraph, so let me finish this paragraph, right? And then I'll take a break, right? So then I take a little break. So, um, so I need nine sessions, nine two-hour sessions. And I'll, uh, I'll get this baby done. And probably every writer probably gets their own system, what works for them, whether it's morning. This happened to be morning, so that worked for me. And I did nine in the morning to 11 on a Sunday. Perfect. And uh, then I got reward myself with watching some football and going to the gym and working out. So, yeah, I felt good yesterday. Yesterday was a good day. So I'm going to get rolling. Nine sessions, people. Can I get one more in today? I don't know. Theoretically, I can do one. I could walk this dog and get another session in. Maybe I should try it. Just two hours a day. I'd be done in nine days if I could do that. And is there anything holding me back? Yeah, me. I'm holding my <laughs> It's my own freaking mentality. And, and my own distractions, right? So a focused writer, because I'm not convinced that I'm, I can make a career or whatever out of writing. Um, I'm sort of convincing myself I can make a career out of podcasting <laughs> and laughing at my own jokes and laughing at my own humor, you know, but that's okay. You, I, if a comedian's not laughing at his own jokes, then, then you probably won't laugh either. Of course, you got to play the straight man when you like drop a joke on people on stand up, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So nine sessions, writing, 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 writing. And I think I can do it. So I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, what I, so let's, let's, let's get practical here again. So I got, uh, I was thinking about running two and a half miles after I did this interview at 8.45 schedule, which is rescheduled for 1.30. So um, I could still do the run. I got the interview now at 1.30. And I probably should just, you know, to make that interview go as best as possible, I probably should spend more focused time on understanding the job, the company, et cetera. And I have a pretty good idea about it. And it's kind of, I'm kind of curious because I'm like actually having a phone call interview with the, the CEO of the company. And, uh, but I, I talk to a CEO all the time. She's the CEO of Paper Raven Books, right? So, yeah, you know, I'm used to talking to CEOs now. <laughs> and, and I talked to a, a lady who's retired from a CEO of two companies. I think I mentioned that once before. She was a CEO of a $150 million company in revenue. And she had 17 board members. She kind of chuckled about that. And then she was then moved on to a bigger company with 250 million in revenue with only seven board members. So what I learned from that, we're always learning, right? Um, it was kind of like an aha moment. It's like we, most people think the CEO, like the buck stops with the CEO, but oh no, oh contraire, mon frère est sûr. I think Sur is sister. Sur, is that right? French? Frère. 
mon frère, ma sœur, ma sœur, sur, ma sœur. <laughs> All right, Google up the French people. Brothers and sisters. Um, so, yes, yeah, CEOs actually answer people. And in this case, we've got some private equity, man. And private equity makes things difficult for research because public traded companies, you can go get their annual report, and they usually give you a good vision about what's going on in the company. You know, you probably get a, you can get a pretty good idea of where to look for what's going on. But when you have private equity, you, they don't have any obligation to publish financial details. I mean, that's probably, I have to go hunt around for it a different way. It's not like you just go to the website, click on investors, and then it gives you the annual report. Boom. You know, this is private equity. And typically, private equity is a fancy name for like fixer-upper. So most people are familiar with house flipping, right? You, you, you find a house that's kind of needs some fixing up and maybe you throw a hundred grand into it. But if you buy this house, throw a hundred grand into it, you can sell it for maybe 200 grand more than you paid for it, right? So that'd be like flipping it, right? You get, you, you buy it, fix it up and then resell it. And the ideal thing is not because real estate has volatility in it. You don't really want to hold that property. In fact, in Phoenix, we're like massive house flippers here because we had that big bubble. I mean, the bubble, the real estate bubble here was massive. Um, homes were like dropping 50%. So like a $400,000 home went down to 200000 So people with money, the old PWMs, were snapping up those $200,000 homes and unfortunately, they probably had to wait 10 years because the, the bubble was like 2007. Some of the smarter ones didn't buy like right away They because it kept going down a little bit since like 2010 or 11. So if you had money, you could buy up a bunch of homes and then catch it on the rebound. It just took a long time. But then the, the traditional house flipper is even a $200,000 home, if that's what the, the market bubbled out and there's a whole neighborhood of $400,000 homes and they're all $200,000 homes, uh, one of those $200,000 homes might be trashed. You know, In fact, the, the foreclosures here were huge. People had bought like in 2005 and six these $400,000 homes or getting these massive loans no money down, interest-only loans. And so uh, all these people were buying these $400,000 homes because the homes were like $300,000 six months prior. And it's like, oh, man, I better jump on this now because this these prices are going from 300 to 400 Man, if I don't buy a house in 2006, I mean, by 2008, the way this is going... Man, that three hundred thousand dollar home is going to go four hundred and five hundred and six hundred. I better buy this home at four hundred now because it's going to be worth eight hundred in a couple of years. Man, let's all make some money. Let's make some bank on these houses. But 
what happened was the bubble burst and the homes went from 400,000 to 200. So a guy with a $400,000 mortgage, his home's now worth 200. He's like, uh, no, I don't think I want to pay this mortgage for the next 10 years, waiting for the house to come back to 400,000. So there's all these walkers that people would just walk. They just, uh, so if you were in the right, if you were in a position to do this, you just would stop making your mortgage payment on a $400,000 loan. And then what you would do is just wait until the mortgage company uh, sold it and their foreclosure. And then you'd get a knock on the door and say, hey, dude, uh, could you please vacate the house by this weekend? You know, get out because there's new owners in town that bought it for 200,000 bucks. The home that you thought was going to go to 800 went to 200 and now somebody else bought it and the banks ate the $200,000 loss. Then you had to go find a new place to live, man. Wow. <laughs> and at the time it was just like there's all these uh, morality plays going on like, "Oh, you shouldn't do that," you know. You should, you you signed up for a $400,000 mortgage and your house is 400,000 and so you know that's just immoral to just walk away from it. You know, you you took the risk, man. You took the risk. But the counter argument is, well, so did the mortgage company. They took the risk. So this this probably took me 10 years to figure out. But now because the economy is going fairly well, and I'm kind of delusionally happy, I guess. But because the economy is doing well, we don't think that's going to happen again. We certainly hope not. But the best thing to be is in a position of having some cash. So if it does happen again, you can go swoop up those $200,000 homes that are now worth four hundred. dollars Anyways, that was a little diversion from private equity. But essentially, private equity does that kind of thing. Is they look for depressed or distressed companies. And they buy them for cheap, fix them up, flip them, put it in a new kitchen, so to speak. With granite. The classic was, oh, you got to have granite countertops, man. And I'm sure all my listeners, you probably now have granite countertops. Wow, there is nothing in life that can bring you such satisfaction than having some granite countertops. Can you believe that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's trucks here, and uh, Bud's kind of excited. They're doing the once every three month garbage pickup. So the garbage trucks are out and about, and Bud's excited. Now they're driving away, they're driving away, so yeah, yeah. So yeah, so back to writing. Um, I will decide what to do when we get done walking Bud. And then uh, maybe I can fit in two hours after my interview. I might be kind of pumped if the interview goes well on the phone. I'm optimistic that it will, but you know, you never know.
So, yeah, so this podcast, you're getting a couple of experiences. You're getting like the writer's journey and the job search journey all in one because we got to have some side hustles, right, people? Side hustles, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I'm freaking crazy, if you haven't noticed. What does that make you crazy? I just have a different view on things. So then the funny thing happened was um, I'm relaxed a little bit now because I'm like, okay, I don't have to get ready for this interview for a couple hours. So uh, let me finish up my journaling and writing and reading James. And James kind of confused me today because he starts out the letter talking about these Jews that have faith that were scattered probably because of Stephen's martyrdom. And uh, also as a reward for writing. Uh, More garbage trucks on the route. This was not uh, part of the podcast preparation, so hopefully you can still follow along. But no, I didn't. I didn't schedule this uh, podcast in all my pre-show preps to schedule in these visits from the truck. But you get to hear from Buddy at least. That's an upside. You get to hear Bud. <laughs> so dang yeah so as a reward for writing and i was working out i decided to listen to my southern baptist convention church sermons from the book of acts and sure enough guess what happened it's the t word the t word i got triggered i got triggered because He's talking about Cornelius. So there's a part in Acts chapter 10. And we did read, he did read aloud for us all the entire chapter. But the essential breakdown is there's a dude named Cornelius who's not a Jew. And he seems to be supporting Jewish causes or, you know, giving to the Jewish community, helping him out, even though he's a Roman, right? He's a Roman Gentile dude living in Israel and an angel or in a dream Cornelius says hey he gets he gets told go send your men down to Joppa Joppa and uh ask for a guy named Simon and have him come back to you so Simon Peter so Peter's going to come back and talk to Cornelius and you know and then because God's in control right He's also telling Peter, like, hey, man, uh, some dudes are going to come ask you to come see Cornelius. Go with him. Just go with him, man. So amazing story, really. But instead of talking about just basically what we just read, what's there, and sitting back going, that is amazing. You know, is that not the most amazing thing? Possible, but we don't hear, you know, I'm not told anything about the amazing thing. It's just a, a fait accompli, as they say in France. Fait accompli, which is, I think, would be like, that's just the way it is, something like that. So the dude goes into what he really wanted to talk about. See, this is the problem with 
your churches. So you really have to listen and, and start paying attention. And maybe you do, you know, and this is probably, I'm sure this is like an age old thing. And I'm just, I'm, I've been thinking it a long time, but now I'm verbalizing it. And probably I'm low on the distribution curve, on the Gaussian curve of figuring stuff out. And probably you listeners are like way ahead of me. So you're just like laughing at me because you see like I'm just figuring stuff out that you already know. But basically the dude inserted his own agenda into the Cornelius Peter exchange, which I would think everybody would go, holy cow, angels and spirit and God intervening. Why would God intervene in this thing? These are like the most basic questions. But no, guys, no, people, that's not it. This is 2019. This is the inerrant, inspired word of God, which means there's got to be a message in here in this Acts chapter 10 that applies to America, because I'm sure that's what Luke had on his mind the whole time. But, of course, we know that it's the inspired, inerrant word of God, so that, of course, God would include a message for America in 2019. And, uh, and it turns out that the message isn't what Luke was writing about, which was describing the movement from the faith and the power of the Holy Spirit only for the Jews, but now for the Gentiles. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's happening. And that's what Luke's recording. That's what's happening. That the God, the one true God, was always a Jewish um, God, you know, and Gentiles were not included, kind of like batteries, not included, right? And uh, so Gentiles weren't included. So Luke's describing that Peter, who would later become the first pope, right? He would later be back back backed into the first pope which i love right um he's jew peter right but he was like one of the most famous disciples which i have later determined is because john wrote so eloquently in john 21 about how embarrassed john felt for peter when he when uh, peter gets restored and he asked jesus like hey yeah, I'm going to, so this is what's going to happen to me. But what's going to happen to John? <laughs> and, and John records, Jesus said, what is that to you? You follow me. That's like the classic, classic. Right? So this Peter dude is big time Jewish guy, thinks he knows it all. Sounds like the Pope, right? Right. So maybe it is fitting that, that Peter's the first Pope. So he knows everything, right? And he's like, wait a minute, I... I can't go hang out with Cornelius. He's a Gentile, man. He's going to eat pork and stuff, you know? So God's like, hey, don't worry about it. Here, let me watch this dream, you know? 
You know, just eat what a, just food, man. Just eat it. Things have changed, Peter. Things have changed. <laughs> and those things are, we're not so concerned about whether you eat pork or not. That's a, that's the old covenant of the law. So it's tough for Peter. Like, let's cut Peter a break, right? He's so Jewish, right? And uh, so he ends up going to Cornelius and talking about the events and what happened to, to Jesus and things. And because it's written in the text, uh, even the Southern Baptists couldn't avoid this part, that the Holy Spirit came upon Cornelius and they spoke in tongues. Oh my gosh. They even, they even mentioned that in a Southern Baptist church. Oh wow. Because it was written down in the Bible, so they had kind of had to read it, right? <laughs> and full disclosure, as far as I know, I don't really speak it. I don't speak in tongues. But if you do, that's great. I speak German, a little bit of French. So I think I kind of qualify, but it's probably not what um, is intended by that. So I pretty much don't go there. But anyway, so, you know, we get the full story. But what is the real message that the minister had to bring to us? Oh, yeah, here it comes. Here it comes. It's 2019, people. And, uh, and uh, he, he was so transparent that he went to the New Orleans Seminary for the and I'm starting to get a picture here, like the people I don't like. <laughs> I love them. I love these people, like Dr. Russell Moore and David Platt, Dr. David Platt. And uh, now this guy speaking to me from West Virginia, who's a minister in Ohio. And I'm sure there was plenty of, you know, because Ohio's not too far from West Virginia. So, uh, so, yeah, I love these guys, but I don't like their commonality of this New Orleans seminary. It must be really whacked out, whack jobby. But it's in Mississippi. It's close to the south, so they have some racial issues, you know. It started in the 1600s. And these racial issues, oh, yeah, this church in New Orleans, oh, it started out like a Baptist, good old Southern Baptist church, but... You know, the economy changed and uh, people of color moved in. And there was actually a Ku Klux Klan member who, like, had his name on the stone. There was a Ku Klux Klan symbol on the church, man, you know. So, you know, he had to deal with that, man, you know. So that's just like Cornelius and Peter. Oh, oh, it is? Really? Oh, that, that's interesting because... Uh, I find those stories totally different. I don't see any similarities between this. You know, I mean, I, I think it's a miracle that God worked through the Jewish people, and now because He sent Jesus, that it's the fulfillment, so that everyone's included. That it's not just the Jews, but it's also the Gentiles. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. Oh, but oh, but wait. Oh no, you're telling me it's racism? Oh no, I, I don't see that. No, you know why? You know because because you know what? Guess what? Let's stick to the text. Guess who the Gentiles are? 
It's both the blacks and the whites in Louisiana. What do they have in common? No, it's not that one of them is Jewish. No, it's not that. It's that they're both Gentiles. Yeah, so maybe maybe we should tell the story a little different. Maybe we should say, hey, we're all Gentiles. And if you want to talk about Louisiana, black and white, maybe you should just go with the we're all Gentiles, folks. That's all that matters. Whether you're Asian from Indonesia or China or China, if you're from the Northeast, China and that Six Sigma, Six Sigma, oh, that's, uh, that's Six Sigma. That's the continuous improvement, man. Yeah, so if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, okay? You know, we don't have to go into this black and white thing. That's uh, that's just not it. But, you know, we get a good teaching on that. And, and the other false teaching part of it is like, oh man, come on people. You got you got to be sharing the gospel with people, right? This is where we got a little bit of that gospel message. Because look at Peter, he 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 got over it, man. Well, why did he get over it? <laughs> Let's just avoid that God intervened in the situation. Does God intervene in your life? You know, and and so that's that's what's missing, peeps. And they even threw in a slam recently about the your better life now, which we all know is a slam. It's code. It's dog whistle for Joel Osteen is a false teacher, even though what I'm describing to you now is false teaching by a dude who thinks Joel Osteen is a false teacher. So, yeah, yeah. What does James say? Don't judge your brother, man. And I, I love these guys. And they're not sinning against me. They're just dumb. They're just saying dumb things. So I'm a prophet, and I'm, I would tell them that. So what do prophets do? They tell people the truth, and then the people like listen to the truth, and then they get pissed off. That's classic prophet model, right? So they won't listen long enough to actually listen. They just hear a few words, just like a prophet would come to town, and they would just get pissed off because I'm telling them the truth. The truth is, Acts 10 has nothing to do with race relations, as in black, white, Asian. And it is all about the amazing story, the mystery of the true gospel, spelled G-O-S-P-E-L, and not this Southern Baptist gospel spelled G-A-W-S-P-U-H-L, gospel. All right, so we're almost finished here. And uh, the last thing that cracked me up, and I had to pull myself away from this wonderful 30-minute video. I got about 15 minutes into it. And uh, it takes a lot of concentration on my part because it's a monologue 
from my favorite German comedian, Jan Boomerman. And Jan Boomerman, and maybe, maybe I'll put it in the notes, which will probably have little value to you unless you want to cobble together some German. But the essential 30-minute dialogue is about this Prussian princess. Prince, no, not princess. A Prussian prince who, <laughs> who's suggesting that quite possibly, maybe, maybe Germany should return to the monarchy. <laughs> so only in Germany can this guy make fun of that. So as an American, you probably don't. You probably have like, what? What the hell? Really? But for me, I'm like, I live there. So I'm like, I feel a kindred spirit with the Germans. So this guy was just doing his comedian shtick thing about this like 35-year-old Prussian great-grandson of some Prussian Kaisers and things suggesting that they uh, go back to the monarchy, which, you know, Germany has an interesting history with monarchy because they, they're not like England, which is more homogeneous, and we're much more familiar with the English monarchy and their little squabbles with Scotland. So Germany had those things too. But somehow we get the impression that, you know, England and the king, 1500, King Henry VIII, and uh, that uh, their England's a pretty homogeneous country. Plus, it's easier because you look at uh, the water around England and you see that it's not island, so... It's an island, so it's pretty homogeneous, right? Even though they had issues with whales and Scots and things. But Germany didn't really become a country close to what we think of as Germany until 1870, folks. Did you know that? little knowledge tidbit for you. 1870. So, uh, with that... They uh, also had what you're probably most familiar with is the Adolf Hitler. That's like the most famous German right now. And uh, so this comedian knows, has a lot of fun with all this stuff. So anyways, he's making fun of this prince who's made some recent comments about bringing back the German monarchy. And I was cracking up. I think it's hilarious. Very funny. Very, very funny. So what for you? What is that so what? I don't know. It's just... Um, the world is complex. People have different issues around the world. There's 80 million some Germans and they have their own issues that are different than the U.S., Issues, our issues, your issues. But depends on where you are. So it's a complex world out there. And humor, humor is 
very fun to kind of sit back and look at it. Now, it's a cheap shot, of course, in humor to take cheap shots at this prince, right? But uh, he's got a vested interest in this, right? <laughs> As you could imagine, right? Who has who has something to benefit from Germany going back to the monarchy? Well, gee, could it be this very 35-year-old prince? Could it be him? Would he benefit from it? Oh, yeah, of course he would. Of course he would benefit, right? So it makes the whole thing really humorous. So I'll see if I can get this this link into the podcast. And what is what it is, it's like he's like the Jimmy Fallon of Germany, or some people like this British guy that's on TV, and they think he's funny because he speaks with a British accent, but he's kind of a dork. But, you know, if you're going to get European humor, you got to really go to the Germans, right? Because they're, they're really well known for their humor. Well, at least this guy, he's an outlier to the thing. An outlier to... Um, <coughs> an outlier to humor, German humor. You know? So uh, I'll include that in the link. And if you really want some fun, you can try to follow along with Jan Boomerman. He's got some really great music videos making fun of Donald Trump too, if you want that. So I'm on all, I'm on all sides of everything. But the one side, that's because is not if you have faith in God, isn't he bigger than America, China, Russia, Ukraine, Germany, France? He's bigger than all this stuff, right? So I joked about that we're no longer there is no American dream anymore, right? I mean, I, I mean, you know, you may have heard people say like, "Oh, there's no American dream," but they're usually pessimistic, and I'm going more optimistic. Yeah, sure. There's no more American dream because it's been replaced by the internet dream, right? It's the internet dream that we, we've got to work with. So especially you entrepreneurs, um, you, you, you got your business going. I dropped some truth bombs on you. I don't know if they're truth bombs, but they're, they're bombs of things for you to think about <laughs> during, during this podcast. And it's, uh, let's see what happens. You know, this is real-time living. Um, and it's time for me to get moving. And probably for you, too. It's time for you to get moving. So enjoy grace and mercy. Look for the mercy. Don't be a victim, like uh, Donald Miller says, and build a story brand. And uh, find peace in that. There's lots of peace out there for you, folks. So enjoy. I hope you enjoyed that. More, uh, Lord willing, there'll be more coming. Bye.